Welcome and not happy Friday. Uh, it is after Christmas sometime and before New Year sometime. We were pre-recording this episode of Travelog, the podcast of Condé Nast Traveler. I'm here with Laura Redman, who's our digital deputy editor. That's right. Lilith Marcus, who's our a digital editor for us. And Mark Elwood, who is a contributing editor for both the, the site and the magazine. Um, and today we're going to start with the cocktail of the week. Um, we don't really have a cocktail of the week. We do have a, a very nice holiday cocktail. It's just Rittenhouse rye on ice with a little soda, and it's delicious. Happy have holidays. Happy, happy holidays, holidays everybody. It's the so happy New Year. Cheers. A bit of rye in the middle of the winter is so warming. Yes. It's sort of like mm-hmm. a hot toddy, but nicer. Oh, mm-hmm. it's much, this is a very nice... Can we know. just do this it, every week? It's, I mean, a, it's a very, very... Yeah, we could do this. We could just do the, the Rittenhouse drink before We should podcast. call Rittenhouse and let them know. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. they can... can Get a little, a little coin from Rittenhouse. Um, okay. So what we're going to talk about this week um, is the, the year in travel, sort of. We're going to talk about things that happened this past year, things that were interesting, trends that we saw. And then I think it's also great if we look forward to 2016 and maybe talk about some of the things that we're seeing coming in the next year. Um, Lily, maybe we start with you because you're working on a piece for us right now on this exact subject. That is true. I am. <laughs> what do you see? What do you? What are the things that you chose to write about for this thing? So one thing that I thought was kind of interesting is, especially among my peer group, I've been seeing such a huge rise in Airbnb, and hotels are trying to figure out how to respond to that. They're worried that people don't want to stay at hotels anymore. They want the customization and all the other things that you get from Airbnb. So, is the, there any evidence of that? Like, have you been ta- as you've been talking to hotels? Are they, are they actually seeing numbers that suggest that this is happening? Yeah, particularly with millennials. They're seeing a real drop-off. People who would rather just rent an apartment for a week and share it with a couple of people rather than pay premium for one hotel room each. But don't you think I, don't you think there's a bit of a dad and jeans syndrome here where if you see Airbnb and you copy it, it's like when your dad says, I love those Levi's, yes. I should get a pair. Yeah, that's and instead of being a great Airbnb experience, you just become a bad hotel. And trying to ape an, an accommodation experience, which actually isn't the same thing, and people are choosing it to be different, aren't you? Shouldn't they double down on being hotelier hotels? Do you know what I mean? I what do. are they actually doing? What are, what are what are some of the things that they're doing? So some of them, to Mark's point, I think some of them are things that the people just want. And hotels are having to accept they can't keep the old way anymore. So I stayed at a hotel recently in Washington, D.C., the Capella in Georgetown. Their entire, all of their hotels have gotten rid of check-in and check-out times. Mm. You just kind of tell them when you'd like to show up. Maybe you have a flight that's coming in so you know a specific time. And then you kind of negotiate when is the best time for you to leave the day that you check out. And this is amazing for me. I feel like I always show up at a hotel at like 3 in the morning, really jet-lagged. I don't speak the language. I just want to lie down and not deal with anything. And having the option to do that, and some hotels will even say you can stay in a 24-hour chunk. If you show up at 11 p.m., you leave at 11 p.m. the next day. Mm. And you can be a little bit more flexible That might be an Airbnb thing, but it's also just something that people want, and it's really useful. It's something people have wished existed, and so now Airbnb will get the credit for kind of nudging the hotel industry into doing it when it's chicken and the egg. It's a great idea. Is it an Airbnb idea? Maybe, maybe not. Right. It's a thing that makes sense, and ultimately that's why I think that particular facet worked. It's just something that everybody wanted anyway, and if Airbnb is what gets them to do it, I'm fine with that. It's kind of fascinating because it's throwing these like stoic hotels and their staff, like, they're going nuts over this, right? Because all of a sudden you have a schedule that you keep 
but now you're not keeping the staff schedule, you're keeping the guest schedule, and you have to work around that. And there's also all these hotels with mobile concierges now, and you can you know, order room service on your phone. You can ask for, if you forgot a toothbrush, you can make that request on your phone, and it, it's the response could be immediate. You could say, I need that toothbrush now. Um, so the staff has to, one, learn a new technology and adapt to it. They have to change their entire process. I got to go behind the scenes um, at the Four Seasons, you know, behind the curtain, so to speak. And everyone is now, like, mobile ready. They have iPads. Everyone has iPads. The um, Where was this? This was in In Toronto. Toronto Excuse yeah. me for not clarifying. Uh, but but I you know I I traveled a lot as a child I think that's what made me love travel as a career and my mother's mantra was always if I have to make my own bed I'm not staying there that's what I do every day <laughs> and I think I inherited her sense of it only feels special if you leave the room in a mess and someone magic some an elf comes in and cleans it up so I'm so resistant I'm I'm fascinated by Airbnb but you couldn't pay me to stay in someone else's apartment and have to do my you know make my own bed I could not agree more and I think a lot of my peers I'm one of the only people who regularly stays at hotels over Airbnb when I travel and I told one of my friends the last thing I want to do is cook my own meals when I'm on vacation. I think there's actually an onion headline that's like, mother enjoys cooking for family in slightly different location. <laughs> exactly. And I just think my, I think my mother, you know, long, long ago was, was prefiguring that where, no, I don't want to rent an apartment. Sure, we'll have a smaller space, but I want that wonderful sense that that towel that was a bit damp and a little wrinkly, magically you come back and it's brand new. <laughs> it's interesting too though because I think it's also started to work in the other direction. There are these services that are springing up. So Airbnb many hosts, I guess on their own, have started acting like concierges and sort of right. leaving little day plans for guests or little recommendations for where they would go, which is the kind of thing you would typically get from the front desk at a hotel or from a concierge. And the other thing that's happened is there's even a service that's actually started up, an, a, a digital service um, that, that will let Guess that will let Airbnb hosts do this online and like publish these to to their site, and it becomes this thing that the user can get even before they get there. And then the other thing that started to happen, and Laura, you were talking about this earlier. I can't yeah. remember the context, but um, services have started to spring up that will actually do laundry for Airbnb hosts. Well, right? Lily wrote about it recently. What was the name of the company in New York? Uh, City Copilot was right. the name of the company that I wrote about. They're based on the Lower East Side, and their whole existence started out of seeing problems with Airbnb. You know, one thing that I ran into was great. I have to pick up my key from some guy. I have to wait on this corner for him to show up because there's no other way to get into the building. I'm standing here with all of my stuff in the middle of the day. You get rid of all of those hotels. With your T-shirt on saying, please rob me. Right. Yeah. yeah, I mean, let's save some time, right? And, you know, maybe we didn't speak the same language. I didn't have data, so I couldn't email him. And, and there were just all these little nuisances that came up with trying to rent a place instead of staying at a hotel. This company's entire aim is to get rid of that. So but I also think One so. Fine Stay is interesting because One Fine Stay, it, to me, bridges a little bit between Airbnb and a hotel because it is it hates being described as posh Airbnb, but it is. And what... What it, what it offers you is li they provide the linens, they provide nice shampoo. It's a sort of service department, but you have the mod cons of home. And I can, I can sort of see that. A I bit like more, that. That sounds good. Where I'm like, I want fresh linens yeah. and I want little tiny molten brown bottles of something. Right. Yeah. 
Otherwise, it doesn't feel like I'm away. And I feel this is the this is the same the same thing that allows Airbnb, which is the the digital platform allowing sort of service providers and consumers to connect in that space, is what's allowing that kind of thing to develop. That's really it's it's an interesting. But thing. But I also I love that a digital company is creating brick and mortar mm-hmm. like yeah. front desks basically, so people can go and check in with City Copilot and drop their bags there if they need to, if they want to go around town until the guests the uh, host shows up, right? Or if the host isn't even there, you get a lot of people who just are never home and Airbnb their place out for months at a time. So in between tenants, <laughs> there's a lockbox where they leave keys and all the stuff for their apartment and City Copilot handles that for them. Yeah. We were just we, That was another thing we want to talk about, about the, this year, talking about uh, front desks and this weird sense that the front desk is kind of an endangered species at a hotel, right. that it's the, the sort of northern white rhino of hotel amenities <laughs> where suddenly they're going away. And I'm a bit... I, I, what are you going to say? I mean, I it, it irritates me immensely that they want me to sit in a chair and hang out. And I think the last thing I want to do when I check in is spend maximum time talking to the staff. Well, at, I want the minimum time to get to my room. At Arrive Hotel, which is supposed to be launching this winter, I want to double-check if it is, but um, it's happening out in Palm Springs, I want to say. And yes. they are replacing the front desk with the opportunity. You just go to the bar, basically. You go say hi to the bartender, and he'll give you your keys. You're checking in with the bartender, which kind of just means that the front desk is now the front Yeah, bar. that just but feels I mean, like cost sa- like staff yeah, savings. Yeah, to me, to that me. feels yeah. like making people do more work yeah. and not paying well, That poor it. bartender, I hope he gets tips. Well, I was thinking I that means I'm waiting longer for my drink, so that's what I don't <laughs> like about that. <laughs> I like a, night, a bartender doing what the bartender the there for. The thing is, I, I remember talking to a hotel designer about this very phenomenon and him saying that we no longer need front desks. They are no longer functional because you can you can streamline everything. The paperwork that used to need to be hidden in the desk is no longer there. But if you arrive after a 12-hour flight with lots of jet lag, all of the the intuitive research and the experiential research that big hotel chains have done, they found out that the worst first impression is for a guest to walk in and be like, what do I do? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you can never recover from that bad welcome. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Whereas if there's a desk, whether you need it or not, we all know what to do, so you walk up to it. Oh, that's and interesting. It's, if, you, if you don't walk up to it, you're sort of milling around, oh, do I go, you're the bartender, oh, oh, oh you do check me in, oh, hi. That, that really creates the wrong debut for a hotel. Yeah. No, I completely agree with that. It's just an organization of your mentality when you walk through the door. Like totally. you just see the thing, that's what you go, and that's what. If you had to, I feel like if I had to walk around, if I had to mill around and look for a specific person, that would be a drag. Well, when you were at the Invisible Service Hotel in Nashville, how did that experience really feel? Did you feel invigorated by it? Did you feel <laughs> like you could? Because I think that's why some people like it is the idea that you don't have to tell people that you're coming and going. You just do what yeah. you want to do. Yeah, I think it was a really particular example of it working out for me. So it was the uh, 404 Hotel in Nashville in a neighborhood called The Gulch. And it's an invisible service hotel, they call it, which basically means it's Airbnb, but a hotel is the best way to explain it. I liked it because I know Nashville very well. I've been there a couple of times. I didn't really need help getting around. It was still within the U.S., so my phone had data, and I could, if I needed a map, pull one up. It was the best possible circumstance for that to work out for me. So what happened was the day before I checked in, I got an automated email from the hotel giving me the four-digit passcode to the front door. 
and then a separate four-digit passcode to get into my room and which room it was. And Mark said there were elves. There were definitely elves at this hotel. Like, someone <laughs> was putting out breakfast in the morning. Somebody cleaned my room. I never creepy? saw them. This, I would find that extra creepy. Yeah, the idea that there weird. were people sort of going through the walls so that I didn't see them because <laughs> it was invisible. No, but I feel that way at all hotels. Like, how did they know exactly what time I left my room do, to come Do you know how it? they used to know? I had someone explain to me, obviously now they can they can check with the key cards when they go in and out whether you've been inside the room. But historically, uh, chambermaids, as we would have called them then, were told to pull out one of their hairs when they finished a room and jam it in the door lock and allow it to waft in the corridor. And when one of the managers did a room inspection, if they saw there was no hair, that meant the guest had been into the room and it needed rechecking. Do you know that was used in a James Bond book as a way to see if somebody had broken into your room? Oh, see, when I was in high school and we went on co-ed field trips... They would put tape on the outside of our doors so that if we opened them in the middle of the night to sneak out, the tape would be broken and they would know. So that's that's invisible service. That's, that's, <laughs> that's pretty in, visible. Yeah, it's something. Well, what would you do if you opened your hotel door and you saw a robot? <laughs> depends what. It depends if the robot is it looked. BB-8. <laughs> exactly. If it's BB-8, is it Wally? I love exactly. Wally. Or did it look no. like one of the humans? Like you know, one of those like incredibly synthetic people, but it's, with like no affect. It's not ex machina. No, it's not some beautiful like cyborg. Cyborg, exactly. Um, no, it's the, no, it's literally. It looks like a Wally, and it's coming to bring you the daily paper, or it's coming to bring you whatever you ordered from. So that's service. a thing. It's a thing. You're it's saying happening. that's a thing. It's happening I, I, in. Isn't there a hotel? In, isn't there a hotel in Japan that yes, that's, exactly. everything is right? But I would think A. I hope I don't have to tip you. And B. I would think, I think we're losing. I think we are, we are mistaking the fact that we can do something for whether we should. And much as service is one of those awful sort of useless words like authentic and revolutionary that people use around hotels and doesn't mean anything, you know, doesn't mean anything. I I do want to say to someone, hey, how are you? That doesn't, I mean, I'm human. Well, for now, I mean, now it kind of feels gimmicky, but what about 50 years from now? Is it going to be so much more common? I mean, I'm one of those people that's like all in for like robots and flying cars and hoverboards (laughs) and all that. But... I mean, I, I just think we're testing it, so it feels unfamiliar, it feels a little awkward, and but in the future, I mean, I don't want people to lose jobs over robot help. I mean, Wait, that's the so great concern from, like, Terminator. No, not Terminator. But what if I, like, didn't feel like getting dressed, and I didn't think the robot would judge me for it the way that a person would? Oh, that's a great question. That's a great point. That's I feel like that point. happens to me in hotels a lot. Oh, I'm getting dressed, and then I realized I forgot toothpaste. Let me get this robot to bring it to me who's not going to be judgmental about it. I think that's the idea. I mean, that you, you know, you might be in your pajamas and you don't necessarily want to meet someone in the hallway, you know, in your pajamas. So a robot comes. But again, I mean, is this a response to because, you know, when you did the story about the app that you could you could go to the hotel and not just use the app to do everything. Right. right. You never have to talk to a human. And it seemed like they were responding to some sort of trend or some expression of desire on the part of younger travelers, so to speak, right, who who were, you know, so app-driven and so engaged with their phones and so engaged with chat and all those things, but had an aversion to the sort of interpersonal contact. Is that what's behind this? Are they? Uh, is there actual feedback that they're getting that suggests this is a good idea? Or is this just what Mark is saying? Like, well, think, oh, we can build a robot. Let's build a robot. I think they're trying to just give guests more options. It's The idea is that you're continuing to customize the guest experience and that 
initially. If if you are shy, mm. if you are well, Mark's shaking his finger at me. You no, can't no, see d- this no, no, on radio. No, no, but I don't think it, the thing is. I actually think it's very cultural. I think it's very telling that in Japan, it's it's robots because interpersonal interaction in Japan is very ritualized and all, often conflict or difficulty is avoided. Sure. And I always love. Obviously, I'm British. I've lived in America for a long time. Thank you. I'm maybe a little bit more. Um, um, I've lived in America for a long time, but I'm very comfortable with the idea that there are staff at hotels and that they work for me while I stay there. And if I treat them well, they're being paid well, and that's very transactional. Whenever I've stayed in a, a fancy hotel where there's a butler or something like that, I love it. It's great. Could you do, could you iron my shirt? Could you bring it back by five? Does that work? Thank you so much. If I'm with my American friends, they are much less comfortable with the idea that that person works for me. There's guilt, yeah. Because I come from a much more class stratified culture, and I'm I think that robotiness is a way of avoiding admitting that like that person works for you. And that's okay. So I did a really interesting interview with the Lanesborough Hotel in London is, I believe, the only hotel in the world that has one butler per guest. And what I found really interesting was that the guy who runs the butler training program has all of them take classes where they learn about etiquette from different cultures, specifically so that they can address issues like that. They said, we noticed we were getting a lot of Americans. They feel really uncomfortable asking us to do anything. So we just go ahead and preemptively ask them questions. They don't even realize that we will iron their shirt for them. We just ask them if they want us to. And then they think, hey, okay, you'll iron my shirt. Cool. Uh, but it, it gets kind of hyper-customized. Like Laura was saying, I think in a response to people like Mark who go the other way with, no, I really want interaction, I really want customization, I've been hearing all kinds of crazy stories about how customizable things can get now that they have all of this tracking and all of this software. The guy at the Capella told me that if you're a regular guest, he knows what side of the bed you sleep on. Oh. No. <laughs> yeah, I was like, this is Why? really... Time and this to is switch how? that up. Exactly. Yeah. They're like, does, the poor, does the poor room attendant have to like fill out a form? Which side of the bed seemed maybe, dirtier? Maybe it's like a Tempur-Pedic and it reports back on you. <laughs> it's like an internet-enabled yeah. mattress that it sort of Bluetooth. sends reports back. A Bluetooth. Because if apparently if you come back, they'll put the alarm clock on whichever side they think you sleep on. I mean, that sounds nice. Mm. It's like Google, right? Like, sure, you can know which side of the bed I sleep on because that's helpful to me. <laughs> but it's also, I think, but I mean, joking aside, I think we all often have privacy concerns when it's to do with the sense that a company is making money out of more, what they know of us without us benefiting. But in a hotel environment, the more they know about you, the more you benefit. Yeah. There is a direct relation. So if they do know that you're left-handed and the alarm clock is there, there's a win-win. Right. Well, I think the idea is that you want to feel like a regular, even if it's your first time, right? So I think what the hotels are trying to do, maybe they are keeping some extra data, and they know that every time you come visit, you maybe you're, I don't know, ordering the same breakfast, right? So the app does help them do that. And, I mean, you could also have just a very talented, you know, hotel staff, a very talented concierge who... But this is... So I have... A, it's my, one of my many rants about hotels is um, I, I think it uh, key card operated elevators are as bad as, like, restaurants with no salt on the table or people who ride bikes on the sidewalk. This is <laughs> not... This is not my job to be policed as a guest. I don't want to get my card out and it not work and have a problem. It is the front desk staff's brilliant ability to gauge who belongs and who doesn't. I don't want them on their phone 
and then I so and they don't have to worry because I've got a key card and no one can get up because the only time I've ever been robbed in a hotel and walked in to interrupt the robbers was in a key card operated hotel on Wait, the club floor. That happened? Yeah. Why haven't you written? A, have you written about that? Not yet. Okay. Um, I have to save some of my stories, Laura. <laughs> uh, that's also whenever I get stuck in the elevator because I'm never fast enough. Yeah, exactly. So you always feel stupid and everyone feels uncomfortable. So key card operated for 2016. If I had to say there was a trend for 2016, please let it be the slow out of key card operators. Oh, can I say which trend I'd most like to die in 2016? Because I like this topic. Yeah. (laughs) Stop trying to make me party with people I don't know. Let me just be alone if I want to be alone. I keep hearing about, I think it's kind of because the Ace Hotel was so accessible and they have this whole kind of vibe of freelancers on laptops who don't even stay at the hotel. They're just there because the scene is so cool. Now everyone wants to copy that. And I feel like every single new hotel that I'm looking at, people say, and we've created this amazing lobby space where everybody can hang out and there's going to be a TED talk and a fashion show. (laughs) That sounds like my nightmare. (laughs) And invariably, the rooms suffer. The bed's really uncomfortable. Everything is treated like an afterthought because it's assumed that, of course, you want to party and hang out. I'm there to work. I need to get stuff done. I just want to take a really long shower and go to sleep. Is that okay? We'll sit at the bar and read my book. And glorious self-indulgence rather than make conversation. Yeah. Robots. Robots. Robots in airports. A robot would not make me hang out with it. No, robot does not care. (laughs) There was a robot tested recently in the Amsterdam airport. I think his name was Sam, and he's about six foot two. And he has a touch screen. Oh, I'm yeah, feeling intimidated. He is tall, robot. Tall, handsome, Wally tall? looking robot. Spencer, his name is Spencer. Oh, thank you. I looked it up. Thank you. So Spencer, six foot two. He's friendly. He has a touch you screen a on his shot? belly. No, he's more of a point guard. So you go up to his belly and you just put in your flight info, and he will guide you to your gate. So you can. This has only been road tested mm-hmm. or like. Uh, airport aisle tested. Terminal tested. Oh, that's way better. You sound like a writer. Um, and he, <laughs> they'll take. He will just guide confused travelers to their gate. So the idea is, well, apparently, KLM Royal Dutch Airways they um, got some data and they found out that a lot of their delays were because of lost passengers, people just being confused in a new airport. So the robot is a response to that. So they're trying to just facilitate. Efficiency, I guess, more than anything. But surely you could just have better free Wi-Fi at every airport. Yes, and you could. your ability to download a map of the airport and find out where you're going. Now, it wouldn't get you as much PR, but I, I mean, I remember I was stuck in Hamburg Airport recently. And uh, you had an hour of Wi-Fi, no matter what. You couldn't pay for extra. You just had an hour. Uh, I didn't have roaming. I didn't have... So I lost the ability to check my delayed flight. And I just thought, well, all I want is is Wi-Fi. I don't need a robot. I can do everything I need to if you empower me as an international traveler who might not have local a local phone. I'm shocked that airports don't all have free Wi-Fi at this point. Yeah. I mean, not it's that I think free Wi-Fi is a God-given right, though I kind of do <laughs> at this point, but... For 2016, can we make that happen? It's can intu- I put well, in a request? It is intuitive. To the- if the if given that you're servicing a group of people who are not by by their very nature all local, and given how expensive some international plans can be from different countries, in order to make the airport experience smoother and more efficient for everyone, Wi-Fi is essential there because it's not like you're walking down the street. You're actually in a zone which is full of non-locals. So I, I think you're being too nice, Laura. I think. 
airports should be ashamed of not having great Wi-Fi because it will make it better for them. It's like having water. It's like having bathrooms. You know, it's at a certain level, this is so integral to the way people travel these days yeah, that absolutely. I just don't, I don't feel like you can justify. And I, I, I almost hate. I almost hate bad Wi-Fi worse than no Wi-Fi. Yes. Because I just sort of feel like you get, when you have that experience, it's like it connects and then it doesn't connect and then pages load really slowly and then they fail. And I just would rather have them say, like, you know what? We don't have Wi-Fi. Fuck you. Like, just deal with it. <laughs> no, they're, you, like, making fun of you. Yeah, it's it's but it's I, embarrassing. I wrote, it's, it's, it's I, wrote a, I wrote a piece for you about yeah. about how I judge a, a hotel by its Wi-Fi. Yeah, because you can tell it. It's it's a bit like a man and his cheap shoes. You can tell an awful lot about a hotel by its Wi-Fi. Yeah, about whether they can plan ahead, whether they really care, whether they've bought enough servers, yeah. or, you know everything. Yeah, yeah. And it's and I don't think I think we are obviously you know living in we you know we're in New York. We live in a city. We're very used to blanket Wi-Fi. I'm not suggesting that we'd expect Wi-Fi in sort of wonderful exotic areas, but when you're a hub airport, yeah. a Hamburg, an Amsterdam, there is no a excuse. A London Heathrow, which has abysmal Wi-Fi. Mm-hmm. Yeah, see that just how is that even possible? Like that just makes no sense to me at, at all. It's not that hard, you know. It's not that hard. Like I could go in for a weekend with a team of people and just like set them up. Put a bunch of little, you know, I mean, I know it's more complicated than that, but it isn't even that expensive at the end of the day. It's just not. Do you think it'll become the kind of thing that people travel specifically for? Or, you know, when you're booking your flight, do you pick an airline because you know it has good Wi-Fi now? Or do you go through an airport because you know you're going to have to do some work and you're a business traveler and you have to go through? It would certainly influence my decision. I, you know, I don't know at the the end of the day, would I like turn down something because it had bad Wi-Fi if everything else about it was good and if it was an airline that I liked, but you know, it certainly influences my decision. It's an interesting question because no, no search engine has added that as no aggregator, no search engine has added that as a, a sort of hit monk esque, Oh, you know, Hipmonk will tell you how annoying your booking might be. I'm surprised that Hipmonk especially hasn't added a, oh, this is this is bad Wi-Fi. Yeah, that might right. irritate you. Add that to the misery index. But you know that yeah, the I know, sort of, I know, and yeah. it's it's not a, it's not a, it's not a game. Ch- I don't think it's a sort of game changer. But I think it's a great point. It's a game changer once every. I, I think I think once a couple of the big carriers get it right consistently, which I think right. may happen with J- JetBlue next year. We'll see. But you know. Once one or two of them get it right, I think it's going to become a competitive advantage where people are going to start asking, what, what's wrong with you guys? Why can't you get this right? It doesn't seem that hard. They have it. Well, then also, it- charging, I would like to talk about. Even if you get Wi-Fi, if there are three places to charge your phone or your computer in the entire airport, why are we still doing that? Oh, I thought you were talking about charging for Wi-Fi because I've also oh, been, charging for Wi-Fi is evil. I've been pillaged midair because of fees. But, it's like thirty bucks for an hour. But GoGo has been on record saying that in order to manage the bandwidth of its usage, the price goes up rather than improve the technology to keep the experience for those who have it at a better level, they they put the price up, which is the most anti-competitive, counterintuitive user experience idea. It also sounds like dynamic pricing. Like, are they changing it based on how many people are? Don't tempt them. I mean, (laughs) we're in an industry that's very dynamically priced. I mean, everything, hospitality has led the way in hotels and flights are the experience that we're going to get in so many ways where things are priced according to demand. So I expect, you know, that sandwich, 10 years time, that sandwich you buy on board might be cheaper if you're buying in the middle of the afternoon. Yeah. I mean, why not? At some level, why not? Um, are there other robots, hotels trying to be like Airbnb, 
depersonalized, you know, app-driven service. What else in twenty in twenty fifteen? Drones. I was gonna say drones everywhere. Drones. You can. There's the FAA has has people registering their drones now because there are so many. That you was have a, to register your drone by the end of 2015 if you have one, and there is now a drone port in Nevada. What size drone qualifies for registration? Like, surely, you know, the little thing that your kid has doesn't doesn't qualify for drone for drone registration, right? Like, but w- what what gets you to that level that the FAA cares? Is it the range of the drone? Is it how big it is, or you know, I'm not positive. I'd have to look it up, but I I do know that drones were flying too close to airplanes, and yeah. they had to make a, a stink mm-hmm. about that. Yeah, and drones and uh, laser Lasers. pointers. That I was feel the like other. I see this problem. on the news every night. Yeah, but what's the allure? Forgive me. I'm, what's the allure of drones? Why do I want a drone? What do I do with a drone? You can take really cool photos. That's, the, that's the thing that I find the most appealing yeah. is getting to see some of the drone photos. Amazon's going to deliver packages to you. That's what they're going to do with it. Mm, I wonder. One yeah. of the other uh, drone port that they're working on is in Rwanda, and it's so that it can deliver supplies. So again, I can understand this, but I just I find it well, so I mean, surreal that I mean, if I live in suburban New Jersey, exactly, if I live in suburban New Jersey, I don't need to deliver medical supplies. I drive to CVS. <laughs> Whereas in Rwanda, that's drones clearly have a usage. But I find it fascinating that they're yet another gizmo that we're buying just because it's a new gizmo. It's the sort of Apple Watch that moment of like, oh, well, here, I, it's new. No, I have a good example. Okay, so in Tanzania and beyond, and a uh, another company teamed up with. I want to say with GoPro, and they dr- did a drone video of the Great Migration. So okay. that's pretty incredible, right? Like, we can't all get over to Tanzania for a safari, but they will follow the wildebeest herd, you know, but with again, a drone. But that's, that's a professional use. I, I find it fascinating that there's enough of, there are enough people. Ama- like amateurs, just amateurs regular people. Them, yeah. That they need registering, because I can totally see them as a useful tool in certain situations, but... I, I don't see why I, as a regular person, would need one. Are you a are you a gearhead at all? I I love a good piece of technology, but I, I guess I'm much more obsessed with what am I doing that this is going to make easier, rather than what else can I do in my life using this. I think which is a different. I think it's a an entry point. So. The coolest use of drone video I've seen so far was in Cuba. And there was this group, small group of entrepreneurs who got the okay from the Cuban government to take a video of tourist locations. So they could go over hotels and beaches and through like old Havana to help the tourism industry to show them, to show us what we can't typically see. Um, I think that's an interesting use, along with like virtual reality video, you know, mm-hmm. Google Cardboard, New York Times making the big push. I think. VR video, drone footage is all just a new entry point, a new way to kind of get a teaser or a sample of a place. And you can decide then if you want to go to that place. I think it's actually going to be kind of cool for our industry in 2016. Especially if they don't play that terrible music that they always play in those teaser videos that like (laughs) brands make to show off their properties. I would be so okay with getting rid of that. Is it okay if I hum like the Star Wars theme if we do it? I don't know. You and everybody else. (laughs) (laughs) But what is, you were talking about Cuba, like Cuba you think is a big thing for next year. I mean, I know I'm a little bit of an obsessive, but yes, I think, it's been huge this year. It's been a year today. This was a transitional year. Yes. Right? It's been a year today since um, the administration, the U.S. administration said that 
we could go to the Americans could go to Cuba if they fell under one of 12 provisos. And the biggest thing has been the people to people exchanges. So I've been trying to get to Cuba for a year and I finally booked a trip. Um, I'm going with Insight Cuba in February. I don't know if I've told you that yet, boss, but I'm going to Cuba for a few days. <laughs> you don't have permission for that. <laughs> you're going to be working the whole time you're there. I, so. know, I am going to be working the whole time. Um, but I think it's just become, it's um, a little bit of a, for Americans still, younger Americans, mm -hmm. I should say, who didn't grow up with the Cuban Missile Crisis, who, there are a lot of people who have absolutely zero interest in going to Cuba, right? And we have to understand that as well. You know, um, for some people, it's kind of a Shangri-La. It's just, it's a place that we weren't allowed to well, go just, to and now can. I mean, Obama, Obama just agreed 110 flights a day right. from the U.S. Commercial flights, Commercial. because chartered flights were are okay Absolutely. right now, but this is a huge deal. But what I what I find a little again as 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 a kind of semi-American, but with with a foreign voice, for the last it is it is a slightly strange sense. America's being sold a slightly misleading sense of this country because the only embargo to visiting Cuba of a Western nation was America. Right. So for 20 years, Europeans and Canadians oh, yeah. have been going en masse. Cana yeah. Canadians this is not going... Pyongyang. No. <laughs> Can I was talking to the, uh, the founder of Inside Cuba, and he was saying there's been a huge influx in tourism of Canadian tourists because they're worried that all the Americans are going to get down there and screw everything up. So they are trying to get there right now before we all go and screw everything up. Um, but we were talking a little bit about Wi-Fi before. Again, this is a country that isn't entirely connected you know would that keep you is, is that uh something that would keep you from visiting a place if you know that you know you're not going to be able to be connected anymore and not a place like that because i feel like that's part of that's part of what it's about you know that's just that's the state of affairs there the that's part of its history that's part of how it's developed so that's one of the reasons why i would want to go is to see it for what it is and whatever it becomes you know i don't i don't want to be precious about it i don't Cuba has to evolve on whatever path sort of opens up out of this. But, you know, that I think is the kind of thing. I think it's what Mark was saying earlier. You know, I don't want the whole world to get wired just to get wired. It's convenient for sure, but it's probably a healthy thing for me to let go of these stupid devices that I carry around and look at constantly all the time. And that would be, you know, a great excuse to do it. No, I'm envious. I, I My wife has been, because she's Italian, and went, you know, just like her, she and a bunch of friends went, you know, when they were in their early 20s and had a blast, you know. And but I, I mean, and don't get me wrong. I don't think it means Cuba's unappealing. I just think it's very important when American travelers go. It isn't this hermit kingdom right. yeah. that has been insulated from the outside world in this strange time capsule-ish way. Yes, it hasn't been overrun as an adjacent nation with all-inclusive resorts yet, but the Cubans are used to outsiders, which I actually think is probably in some ways a good thing because it might be easier. There'll be a little more English penetration. You can actually really experience it. But just this sense that sort of a, the great Oz has drawn back the curtain, <laughs> it's not quite like that. I, I mean, I, likewise, I can't wait to go. I mean, I wasn't I wasn't able to go. Oh, it's so. a very American thing to be like, I'm going to Cuba. I'd be like, yeah, you're the last one. Congrats. Well, you know, there's, but, but. Yeah, there's a history there here. I think there's been so much. And for me, the thing is that they've, there's been so many exports that have come out. I spent a lot of time in the music business and in the jazz business specifically. And the we had 
Cuban musicians that we were presenting all the time. And it was an amazing tradition that came out of that country, the musicians that were just brilliant and so, had had a state education that was fantastic. And it has this kind of allure for me to sort of see the culture that was behind all of that music. That's part of why I want to go. I think art is the same way, photography the same way. I think it's a super compelling place. I just think that people are being, it's being almost being marketed to people in the wrong way, where it's being marketed as this untouched wonderland, when yeah. actually what it is, is this amazing cultured place with incredible music and, you know, old architecture. That's amazing. But these people have talked to outsiders before. Yeah. That's how I feel about Iceland. <laughs> Oh, we I, talk I, about Iceland because that's another place that's definitely... Iceland has been both a big trend, I would say, of 2015, but I think it's going to keep going next year. Yeah, You've I was been. just in Iceland this August. Um, I feel like I was the last person I know who went, although statistics don't bear that out. Yeah, I, I haven't just... been yet. Have you been? No, I have. Um, I, I would sort of, I would, you know, politely differ in the sense that I think, I think Iceland Air has been a, a one of the br most brilliant air carriers to recognize to turn an inconvenient indirect flight into right. a bonus stop, was genius. I think Iceland is one of those places that I wish I still had a picture of in my head rather than a picture on my phone. And why is I that? I don't understand. Yeah, say more. Explain. Um, because I'm not a super outdoorsy person. I think if you go to Iceland and want to experience the outdoors, it's incredible because it looks like the moon. It, it is, you know, there's no trees. It's truly totally otherworldly other terrain. I was very much expecting a hist an historic capital in Reykjavik. Mm. And Reykjavik's architecture is all... It's all 1930s, quite brutalist, fascistic mm -hmm. architecture. Mm -hmm. And the cruise ships that are now very regular visitors have also overwhelmed any other character to it. So I thought Reykjavik was a bit missold, and I'm not a customer for the countryside. Mm -hmm. Our style editor, Jana Mallory, just got back, and she said something kind of similar. It was Reykjavik felt crowded, overcrowded. Mm -hmm. um, they had a much better time when they got outside the city and went and experienced the... So, you know, I'm just not... Did, what did you think, Lily? Did you go to the countryside or were you... A little bit. I mean, I'm a bit indoorsy, I would say. Uh, I... <laughs> I've never heard that, but I'm going to take that because <laughs> me too. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I sunburn in the dark. So <laughs> I'm aware of my limitations as a traveler. I think for me... It was interesting to be there for more than two days because so many of the people that I know who had experienced Iceland did it as part of the Iceland Air Layover program, which I agree has been remarkable. And it gives you this little bite of Iceland and hopefully makes you curious enough that you want to come back. Do you remember that blog stuff white people like? One of the things on that blog that I thought was really accurate was their favorite thing that white people like is being the only white person doing something. <laughs> <laughs> and I feel that way about Americans going to Iceland. They love thinking they're the only American who is doing something. And, and everywhere I went, I heard American accents everywhere. And because of Wow Air, which is also getting yeah. people there for $99 sometimes, there were, I went to the Blue Lagoon, there were two different bridal parties. Um, a group of, I'm trying to think, I think two bridal parties, a bachelor party, Americans everywhere. You know, it felt like Club Med. But you know what point. I would send people to Iceland for? Brennevin, which is the local alcohol, because Iceland, al alcohol was illegal in Iceland until, until the 80s, I believe. And, and in a wonderful insight into the local mindset, Instead of making alcohol expensive when it was legalized, it was decided to make it disgusting to discourage <laughs> people from tasting it. 
I personally think this cardamom-flavored schnapps is delicious, but they, they drink it in Coca-Cola to disguise it, and you can't buy it outside. It's not exported. So there is a wonderful one of those to be the only white person doing it. I loved going there and trying this liquor that I couldn't try anywhere else. And I still have friends sort of smuggle it back and I have little bottles in my freezer because I quite like it, but it was intended to be disgusting. I have a friend who studied abroad in Iceland, so she had had a significant amount of time there, recommended a couple of places that she thought I should check out, recommended a cafe. I went to the cafe. It turns out that that cafe had been featured in an Iceland Air in-flight video and there were 100 Americans there. It was... (laughs) I think I recognized some of them from my neighborhood in New York. I kept bumping into people from Brooklyn everywhere I went. I, I, it just felt like a satellite Brooklyn that was a little bit colder. Well, okay, so where should we be going in 2016, if not Iceland? Well, Australia, of course. Yeah. We I mean, that. I want to go to Australia every year. Yeah. So. Exactly. I think Australia's a perennial. <laughs> I, my, my big, my big, I've, you know, we're all lucky enough that when we work in travel, people ask us for advice. And I have two friends, uh, two sets of friends getting married next year. And they're both, they both took my advice, which was nice, to go to Mozambique on uh, honeymoon. Yes. Um, because I went on assignment to Mozambique maybe 10 years ago to both the city of Maputo, which looks like Saint-Tropez, bit, you know, after a little bit of a tough time, but not that tough. Um, and then the coast of Mozambique, the Bazaruto Archipelago, is the Seychelles at mm. Florida prices. Wow. So I, I'm, and I, the food is wonderful. It's this wonderful fusion of African, Portuguese, peri-peri prawns. It has incredible history. It's a very successful country after the Civil War. There's a lot of, a lot of rebuilding. And it's a lovely reminder that going to Africa, you neither need to insulate yourself from Africa nor really rough it. Mozambique is this, it's a sort of Mexico experience where you, you get a really local sense, but you're not, you don't feel uncomfortable. Now, can you tack Mozambique on to a larger Africa trip? Because I think I was thinking about it when I was going to South Africa. Do you think that's doable? You can now. There's a, there's, there are good airlifts between Maputo and Joburg now on both Mozambique's national airline and on South African. Um, the, the, probably the, the nicest way to go to Mozambique from North America, though, is to go via Portugal. So you can stop off in Lisbon oh. and then go down to Mozambique. So you actually get two continents for the price of one in that very good layover way. So yeah. I'd be like, please, Mozambique. It's my, you know. That's a Great One idea. man mentor. Um, I am going to sp- in the magazine. We talk a little bit about how Colombia is trending ever more. Even if you're watching the show Narcos on Netflix, which is terrifying and awesome, but Cartagena has com- is wonderful. Medellin has completely rebounded. Um, I just heard from another Condé Nastro who just got back from Medellin, and he was like, "Tell everyone right now, just go. The culture is amazing. It's." beautiful the food is wonderful um but i also think that next year because the olympics are in brazil just more people are going to be going to south america in general they they can use brazil as a jumping off point and then maybe you know tack on ecuador uh ecuadorian rainforest a lot of people don't think of the amazon in ecuador but it's a great way in um i would also recommend going to iguazu and then going to argentina from there that's a great idea oh okay what about other than countries to go to? What other kinds of trends along the lines of what we were talking about earlier are going to crop up in 2016 or are going to, you know, sort of reach a tipping point? We, we talked a little bit about supersonic travel, the idea that the Concorde is going to come back in a slightly modified fashion. So Concorde 2 is in the works. 
Is that the one that's going to go New York, London in two hours? Yeah. Is it called Concord 2? It might be. No, no, because because I'm fascinated with Richard Branson very showily said he was going to revive Concord and then very quietly never did, which was both very disappointing and also telling to me. And, and I thought, well, perhaps the, the safety issues that that yeah, ended Concord up grounded, sure. grounding Concord were insurmountable at a commercial airport. So I, I, I would be thrilled. The idea that I, I've never ridden Concord is one of those bucket list moments that right. it's, it's, I'd love it to come back in my lifetime, but I don't know if I can believe any of these will be able to surmount those the bad branding kind of well all the commercial challenges because the you know the 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 crash in France happened because there was a little debris on the runway and the tire exploded and then the plane did yeah but I, I but if that if it does come back i think you're talking about something that could change the game with travel from the us to asia for example sure the, what was it the san francisco to tokyo flight was also something astounding it was less than, it was like 3 hours or yeah. something yeah and i think that is unbelievable that makes it like going from boston to you know north carolina or something right it's a whole different thing um, what about in the app space? Well, actually, I was hoping instead of the Concorde to get teleportation to finally work out. Um, <laughs> one thing that I would like to mention, actually, is um, one of the things that would make travel easier isn't just making flights faster. It's streamlining some of the airline processes. And there have been a lot of interesting things going on with passports this year that I'm really excited about. One of them is that in Australia, they're testing a cloud passport system where you wouldn't even need a physical passport. And all of your biometric information will just be stored. Imagine how much more quickly people would be able to get through airports on both mm -hmm. sides of their trip. Is it fingerprinting, eye scanning? What's the biometric? I think it's fingerprints. Okay. They're testing it with a really small group, and I think they're going to make decisions about what's working and what isn't and possibly implement it on a larger scale even for the whole country. And I can see if it works for them. Obviously, other countries will want to follow suit. I'm that person who always thinks I left my passport on top of the TV. <laughs> so for me, it would be really great. Which is where you keep it, right? You keep yeah, it yeah. I don't even have a working TV, but I leave stuff on top of it, which is what it's for. <laughs> TV has table. No, but I think that's and I think it's interesting. You point out a passport is a weirdly retro item that we forget has not changed very much. There are obviously some of the ID-enabled or semi-automated European. When I go back with my British passport to the UK, I can go through a very clunky machine. But there hasn't been much innovation around passports. And in a in a data world where that's going to matter more and more, it's strange that people aren't doing more of but that. But because it is so gloriously retro, I mean, how sad would you be? Totally. I don't. I hate giving up my passports, and if they don't send it back, it's akin to like, I don't know, me, well, losing a friend. I don't know. It's it's so sad. It's a beautiful little bit of art, and it's mem memorabilia. And I don't buy souvenirs when I go abroad, but my souvenir is that stamp from. I that mean, country. speaking of that, the, the uh, you know, at the time that this airs, there will only be a few days left to get extra passport pages. Mm -hmm. Right. And I but you will be able to get a new, brand new 52-page passport. You will just have to get a new one. Yeah. You can't go and get more pages added right. later, but you can start with a bigger one. But it, but it's it, it's that thing that people have loved to do which is that they love to accumulate those over the course of their lives, which is a very, very retro material thing that can't be transposed to the digital world. And, and the I, stamps I, on the trunk, it's the same idea, It's exactly right? that. Yeah. It's, it's our modern... And I remember the most recent time I had to renew my British passport where they don't... They've never offered um, extra pages. I was thrilled that my passport filled up before it ran out. Mm -hmm. And there was a, a huge sense of achievement, which was very visceral. Yeah. And... 
that that passport, I thought, oh, this is amazing. I've I've traveled enough that I've used it up. Yeah. It's autobiographical, and it says yeah. that you've lived a rich life. Well, I think point. I would love to find a way to combine the ease of something like the cloud passport, because I have TSA pre-check and global entry now, and it's changed my life. Mm. I recently went on a trip to Guadalupe. Actually, I'm working on a story about what it's like to go on vacation with your coworkers, because that's what I did. <laughs> and when we were all getting ready Not to us. get off the flight, Mm-mm. I told my coworkers, all right, guys, bye. I'll see you at the office because I was the only one who had global entry and I just zoomed on through and they were all stuck waiting and going through and it took an hour and they had to wait for all their bags. So I want bragging rights like I get with a passport where I can say, oh, I just got extra pages added. But I also <laughs> love the ease and the speed. No, I buy that. Although I also don't know why everyone doesn't. I'm doesn't have global entry no, or TSC. No, stop getting it. The pre-check. line is getting too long. It's negating the purpose of having it. I have never not gone through customs in like a minute. I mean, my parents live in Raleigh, so that's where I go back to visit the most, and I am always the only person in the TSA pre-check line, which is my dream. In JFK, it doesn't really matter, to be honest. No, I it, it hasn't made enough of a difference. Because everybody's, everybody's got, got it. Everybody's got it. Yeah. Well, just TSA pre-check, but global entry is like, it's pre-check plus plus, right? I mean, and it lasts for five years, and... I mean, service moment. What Tell listeners uh, what these things are. So if you have TSA PreCheck that works within the United States for domestic flights, it means that you, at most airports, can go to a special express line when you're going through security. You don't have to take off your shoes. You don't have to take computers, laptops out of their bags. Uh, You don't have to take your liquids out. I mean, it's like traveling in the 70s. It's so great. You feel civilized. You're like, yes, I am. I'm a good traveler. I'm not. (laughs) I always travel by myself, and I always have a ton of stuff. So it's like I don't have to take my coat off. I'm not rustling around to take all these things out of my bag. It just kind of slides on through, and it's great. And then global entry basically includes pre-check, but you also um, have all your information saved. So when you go to customs, you go to a kiosk, you type in. When you arrive back for an international flight, so that's ex. Pre-check speeds up your exit, and global entry is a magic wand when you arrive back from overseas. Exactly that you have bragging rights. You go to a kiosk, you go to a, cut the line on uh, customs, and you you feel VIP'd at immigration, <laughs> which is I, you didn't know was possible, and yet it is. That's Actually, uh, so Cynthia line. Drescher, who's a contributing editor, wrote recently about an app, since Brad mentioned app, um, that you can use if you don't have TSA pre-check, but if it's a domestic flight, I think it's at six or seven airports now, it involves taking a selfie of yourself to verify that it's you uh, and having all your information stored in a cloud so as long as you can get on Wi-Fi or your app works, and then you just sail on through, and it's a very similar system. The only thing I would say about Global Entry, what no one told me is when they took my photograph while I was being approved for it, they didn't say they were going to use it on the card, so I was just slumped in the chair listening to the gentleman explain how to use it, and then the card came and the sort of I'd been caught off guard with this photograph that now for five years I will pull out and think, my mother would tell me to sit up straight, so <laughs> my one piece of advice is, when you get to the global entry office, just sit, sit up, straight. up straight, remember they might be taking a photograph. And, and that's it's already worked out for me, there are a couple of states now, including New York, where our driver's licenses will no longer be recognized as ID at airports. Uh, and because I have a global end, because I have my TSA pre-check ID with my photo, it's fine and I can just use that. And it means I didn't have to go to the DMV. Was that, is that for domestic flights or for international flights? Well, I mean, you've got your passport for an international yeah. flight, so it's domestic flights. Okay, okay. Um, 
any Lilith, where are you going in 2016 that you're excited about? Uh, I'm going to Cambodia. I just booked it the other day. I'm oh, really excited. Oh, you did? Which, yeah. Which deal was that? The flight? Deal? Well, the deal was to Singapore. Okay. And then from Singapore, I'm going to be going to Cambodia. But are you going to stay over in Singapore at all? Yes, I'm doing. So I'm doing Singapore kind of on the ends. So like five days each time in Singapore, and then uh, I think five or six altogether in Cambodia. I'll be in Siem Reap because I want to go to Angkor Wat. And also not, uh, I actually am not totally sure how to pronounce Phnom Penh, but... That's right, Phnom Penh. Um, what I thought was interesting about it is it was really low on my list. Siam Reap, I knew, was super tourist-friendly. Everybody goes to Angkor Wat. There's a lot of infrastructure there. But I wasn't sure about Phnom Penh. And a few other women I know who are also travel writers... I'm always curious what it's like to travel somewhere solo as a woman and how safe it's going to be. And I've been hearing really great things about how much more infrastructure there is in the city, how it's been cleaned up, how it's a lot safer. There are some new hotels that have opened that sound really interesting. And it's relatively undervisited compared to something like Bangkok or Ho Chi Minh City. So I'm really excited to check it out. Laura, you're going to Cuba. Where any, Anywhere else it's on your list? Cuba in February, and then hopefully a little bit of a Europe tour. Um, Munich, Vienna, Prague, and Budapest in okay. the spring. Wow. Where are you going, nice. Brad? I'm going to take a, this is going to be really, really interesting. I'm going to take a two-week tour of national parks in the West. So I'm going to go out with my wife and our son, my brother and his family, and we're going to travel. We're going to do a mix of camping, which will not be sort of roughing it camping because my wife doesn't do roughing it camping. She, uh, she does Italian camping, which means there's <laughs> tables and silverware. And, and then we're going to do lodges occasionally just to sort of like relax and enjoy that. And it's the 100th anniversary of the National Park System. And it feels like the right time to sort of, you know, go and see what they're... I've been to Yosemite, but I, and I've been to um, Monument Valley, but I haven't seen a lot of these, and I think it seems like a, a really good occasion to do that. Are you going to do Grand Teton, too? I can't remember. We've been arguing over two different itineraries between the two families, so we haven't resolved exactly what the itinerary is going to be. We're leaning towards starting in San Francisco and then coming back... Um, the other one starts in Vegas and then works its way the other direction and goes through uh, Yellowstone. Okay. So we haven't settled that yet. I but. will say as a resolutely indoorsy person, which I will <laughs> now use all the time, one of my most exceptional experiences that I was ever sent to, to write about was to go to Mount Rushmore and to experience that national park was truly quite uh, mesmerizing and emotional. And I think some of those out west landscapes in America are truly some of the most extraordinary experiences in the world. Yeah, It's interesting you say that about Mount Rushmore. I feel like people skip over it because it is so well known and you don't really want to go... Well, I'm sure there's a lot to do in the Dakotas, but it is a harder... It's very hard to get to Mount Rushmore. It's a hike, but what was wonderful about Mount Rushmore was it's incredibly minimalist. And it's and it's powerful not, and, and it's, powerful. Yeah. It's it's not full of of tacky trappings because it's a national park, and it is a beautiful symbol of America. And as as an immigrant to America, I, I found it very moving. But it's also just the the countryside is incredible, and I'm not programmed to to you know respond to that. So. No, I, I it's interesting because the catalyst for this trip is really my wife, who again is Italian and who lived here when she was a kid, and came to went with her family on a tour of the national parks and was absolutely blown away by them and sort of it's funny to me that neither my brother nor I have ever sort of had the impulse to do the national park I lived out west for a long time 
But I've never sort of had this impulse. It feels like I've been such an urban person and it just is something I sort of take for granted in some kind of way. And she does not. She really sort of has connected with the spectacularness of the landscape out there and of these particular locations. And so she's the one who's sort of saying, look, we have to go do this. We have to show the kids this. Oh, I think America, you know, America's my, there's, there are still parts of America I haven't been to. And that's all every year I make myself a list of the places elsewhere in America that I want to go because it is so diverse and we overlook it because it is on our doorstep. Yeah. Where are you going? Um, I'm going to try and see a lot more of America. I have a few more states to see. Okay, what's left? Yeah. <laughs> Wait, how many have you done? Sort of 40, 44, 45, so quite a lot. Very good. Um, I haven't been to Alaska, and I would like to go to Alaska. Um, I haven't been to Kansas, and I always like, I often find that states like Kansas, which aren't front of mind for a lot of trips, can be really amazing because they're overlooked. And you discover, much as I, I did when I went to the southern part of Colorado, which is much more Mexican and much more like New Mexico and is forgotten as part of Colorado, there, there was an amazing bartender in the diner by the side of the road who taught me more about tequila than everyone, anyone I've ever known. Colorado has an excellent distillery scene right now, by the way, that we well, wrote about that as cocktails, well. Cocktails, I mean, again, <laughs> you know, I've, I've finished a couple of cocktails over this, so, you know, I'm a man for that. <laughs> Great. Okay. Well, let's take it out. Um, remember, everybody, to visit us at cntraveler.com. We are also at Condé Nast Traveler on Facebook and YouTube and CN Traveler on Instagram, Twitter, and Snapchat. Um, why don't we go around? Lilith, where can people find you? Um, I am at Lilith Marcus, L-I-L-I-T-M-A-R-C-U-S, on Twitter, and Lilith Goes on Instagram. I'm Laura underscore Redman on Instagram and Danon825, which is as retro as it gets on Twitter. Is that an AOL account? Right. It's actually <laughs> Hotmail. <laughs> uh, my Twitter is Mark, M-A-R-K, J Elwood, which is E-L-L-W-O-O-D. And I'm at Bradrick, and that is it. Have a great New Year, everybody, and thanks for listening. Happy New Year. Happy New Year.